These two rectangles are the same size. Go ahead, pause it, measure the screen. And these two squares, A and B, are the same color. Sorry, I know it seems impossible, but it's true. The truth isn't always apparent. We can be staring right at it, knowing it, but still, there's a part of our brain that can't register it. So does this pattern apply to more important things than colors and shapes? Could it be giving us a model for how there could be an all-loving, all-present God, and yet we can still feel completely alone? The Buddhist and Hindu traditions teach about Maya, or the fundamental illusions tied to this world that hide the truth from us. Swedenborg called these misleading perceptions appearances. And tonight we're going to look at how to recognize them, understand why they're there, and how we can arrange our mind so that we see the whole picture. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg in Life. Today we're going to be looking at why spiritual things seem hard to believe. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm the host. I'll be taking us through it. And as you saw in the intro, we had some optical illusions. I'm going to pull one back here. Uh, this one in particular drives me insane. Uh, but it's true. A and B are the same color. You can cover up the rest of the screen. You'll see it. And that's not. there's not just that one. There's a ton of them. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this one before. But if it's transferring through on your screen, it looks like it's moving. You look at it. There's a shifting of the rings there. Even though I know that there's not actually movement on there, but I can see that there's movement on there. And as you can tell, there's a conflict going on between different parts of my brain when I'm looking at that. There's sort of a little brain war uh, that, that's going to happen. So you have the sensory part of your brain. Imagine that you were devoid of all analysis or all application of prior knowledge. All you were doing was looking at that. There's a part of you that says that's moving. I can see that that's moving. But then you have the rational part that knows, okay, those sorts of things, the way that's drawn, I know those aren't really moving. You could put that on a piece of paper, it wouldn't be moving. I've seen that kind of thing before. He's telling me it's not really moving. So we know it's not, but they don't ever quite agree with each other, right? And this dynamic, what's happening here, we're going to look today at how this is happening on a higher level in our mind, and that that higher level is the reason why spiritual things seem hard to believe. That there's a clash, not between the sensory and the rational, but between two parts of the mind that Swedenborg calls the outer mind and the inner mind. And to give you an, exa to, to give you an example of what we're talking about, let's go back to an illusion. I mean, th there's illusions all over this world, not just stuff that you'd find in like a magic eye kind of book. The, the sun, the way that the sun moves around the world, uh, right? That's how it seems. It seems like we're static and then that thing is moving, but we know it's the other way around pretty much. So why is life like that? Well, that that mechanism actually goes all the way up. It's not just about outer physical appearances, because if you think about it, we're here on this show talking about, oh, there's God and God loves everybody and God is present everywhere. But does it feel like that? Oh, there's a lot of times when it doesn't, right? You feel completely alone. Things like that we say love is the core of life. It's the most important thing. It doesn't always feel like that. Even the survival of consciousness after death doesn't always seem self-evident. doesn't look like it when you're faced with things like death. And why is that? Well, it's because that same dynamic is going on in these outer 
and inner parts of our brain. The same sort of tug of war that happens when you see something that one part of your brain says, well, that's doing that, but you know it's not. So it is on a higher level with spiritual things. There's a part of our mind that's tricked by the illusion and a part of our mind that can see beyond it. We're going to explore that tension. And what that's going to do for us not only is explain why spiritual things, even the core principles, don't always seem true, but also why we waver in our level of convincedness about those things. You can be a person who's very affirmative towards spiritual things. I would imagine if you're watching this show and have been watching this monologue up to this point without clicking away, you probably have some kind of affirmative stance on spiritual things. But even so, a couple days later, it can feel like, wait, is, is any is there anything outside of the physical? Is there anything outside of myself? We, we go in these cycles, and this is going to explain that as well. Who wouldn't want to look at the root of that? We're going to do it in-depth, beginning with meeting these parts of the mind in part one. So these are Swedenborg's labels for these two levels of the mind, and as he describes them in his writings, something he makes very clear from the beginning is that the first thing we got to learn about these two is that they're distinct. They are separate from each other. They're not just two parts of the same thing. There's a separation there. He talks about it in Secrets of Heaven 6843. He says, We cannot approach the deity with our body the way we approach other people. So you can't just walk up to God. Only with our mind and therefore in thought and will. There is no other route to the deity because divinity transcends the realm of space and time. In us, divinity is pre- present in what are called states, specifically states of love and states of faith, and therefore states of the two mental faculties of will and thought. You can see he's talking about this really important process of trying to approach the deity. And so he goes on here to say, they, these are the means by which we can approach the deity. So in, in will and in thought, right? You got that, now watch what he says here. People are not aware of this because they do not realize that their inner levels are distinct from their outer levels, or that some thoughts go deeper and deeper and some shallower. Since they do not know any of this, they cannot reflect on it. So he's talking about something as big and important as approaching the divine in thoughts and feelings. And he says the reason that we don't know that we can uh, you know, assuming we don't, is because we don't understand that there's these two distinct kinds of thoughts and feelings. And it makes sense. You think, oh, you can approach, approach God in your thoughts. Well, you know, I'm thinking about what I'll have for lunch. Like, where where's God in that? Or there's, if that one still seems spiritual to you, there's plenty of thoughts that I'm sure go through your head, our heads, on a daily basis that don't seem to approach God at all. And Swedenborg is saying it's because there's two categories of thought and two categories of feelings, this outer and inner, even though it doesn't always seem apparent to us from our vantage point. But we are going to look at how to tell those things apart from each other, and we're going to tell this story through the house of the mind. And Swedenborg says that a house is not just a good metaphor for the mind, but correspondentially, it, it is an image of the mind. And we're going to begin really simple. Here's the, the, the simplest rendering of the house of the mind. It's got two parts, higher and lower. Now, you're going to hear higher and lower used interchangeably with inner and outer. Uh, Higher being inner, lower being outer. That's a quirk of Swedenborg's description of spiritual geography, that whatever's higher is also more inward, whatever's lower is also outer. But the point is, you got your higher and lower mind. And reflection 
is something that happens because you can you have these two parts of the mind. So because you have sort of two different spaces from which to observe, you can observe yourself and understand that you have these two. For example, you can be in your higher state of mind looking at your lower state of mind and saying, that's a mess. And he talks about it a little bit in uh, uh, in that and other areas that, that you have the power to self-reflect, to say, eh, that's a dumb thing to think. Right, right. That's that's pretty amazing on its own. So we got these two levels, and it's really from the higher one that you get this vantage point on the lower one. But it's not that you automatically are using your higher mind for all kind of stuff. Actually, that it comes unopened. We've got to open up the higher mind in order to get it to work. And he describes how that process happens in Divine Providence 147. And we're going to play you that clip set to house animation. We have an earthly mind, a spiritual mind, and a heavenly mind. We are wholly locked into our earthly mind as long as we are caught up in our compulsions to evil and their pleasures. During all this, our spiritual mind is closed. However, as soon as we look into ourselves and realize that our evils are sins against God because they are against divine laws, and therefore try to refrain from them, The Lord opens our spiritual mind and comes into our earthly mind by way of its desires for what is true and good. You can tell it's something good, that the the floor opens, light comes in, there's this repentance thing. We're going to look at all those parts in detail, but what's important to see there is that you have to rise above, open up the earthly mind in order to access this inner mind, and that only comes through spiritual growth, I think is the best term that we use now for it. But as you notice, may have noticed there, and as you'll be seeing as we go forward, is it's not about we're all going to pile on the rational or the, the uh, lower earthly mind and say this is we're trying to we're trying to kick you out of the mind club. You keep it like for example, like when you have a house, uh, you don't get rid of the foundation just because you have an upper floor or you don't get rid of the bottom floor. The point is not to get out of the lower mind and never return there. The point is to open up so that there's div- divine love and divine truth coming in to both. The, the, the higher mind can be a source of inspiration for the lower mind, and then the lower mind is working with the higher mind as it was always meant to in the divine design. So this is not about uh, excluding anyone, it's about empowering everyone. And we're going to see exactly how that process plays out, and what was this little landing that we walked into, sort of at the top of the lower mind, all those questions too, answered in part two. There are these two levels of the mind, according to Sweden. And they need to talk to each other in order for us to be beings that that understand our place in this spiritual and simultaneously physical world. But they need to talk through something. Just like the physical world, you have to talk through something, (laughs) whether it's your vocal cords or your vocal cords and a phone or whatever, there's got to be some sort of medium. Here, the connector is rationality. Uh, as Swedenborg defines it. He talks about it a little bit here in Secrets of Heaven. This is 268. He says, The ability to reason also belongs to the outer self. So notice that that mezzanine 
is actually on the first floor. In its true character, that capacity, rationality, is a kind of bridge between the inner self and the outer, because the inner self directs the outer bodied-centered self by means of it. So that's where rationality is really doing what it's meant to do. But when the rational mind consents to self-dependence, meaning uh, ego-based, uh, there's nothing higher or really anything besides me that I, I am uh, and my wants supersede everything, it separates the outer self from the inner so that we no longer know the inner self exists. As a result, we also fail to see what understanding and wisdom are, belonging as they do to the inner realm. So you see these two diametrically opposed deployments, and these are important to keep track of, because you have sort of a rationality 1.0 here, before being open, and then a 2.0 here, when it's actually doing what it's supposed to do, bringing light from the top to the bottom. And we give you these tools now, because pretty soon, I'm not saying, you know, the next uh, thing in this show, but a couple of things down, you're going to see Swedenborg talking smack about rationality. And it's important to realize it's not rationality and logical thinking in general. It's this 1.0 self-dependent, meaning uh, ego-driven rationality that he's talking about. Rationality is neutral. Much like a human mind, it can be employed negatively or positively. So let's take a look at its place in our house of the mind. As you can see, it's not on the very lowest level. It's not up into the second level. It's this halfway point that if the second level isn't open, it remains in shade, but yet gives us this access point to the higher part of us. Since it's grounded in the outer natural world, we can it can easily lose touch with the spiritual. It communicates a lot with sensory information. You know, way back to these optical illusions, there's parts of your mind that are just, this is what I'm seeing, so it's what I believe. The rational has a, an easier time connecting with that than it does connecting with the higher things. So we have, that's why it doesn't automatically come open, and we got to work at it. Now, to introduce you further to it, so you really understand the character of Rationality 1.0, we've got a tour of the house, and you're going to hear some um, excerpts from Swedenborg and a little paraphrasing on what this, what characterizes the Rationality 1.0, the unopened Rationality. So here's what he has to say. Our first rationality is born out of secular learning and religious knowledge. Appearances hold the attention of our rationality at first. The rational mind left to itself arrives at its conclusions on the basis of outward appearances rather than inward realities. As a consequence, it inevitably falls prey to seeming truth, which is not true in itself. The seeming truth our first rationality is caught up in cannot harmonize with or promote the divine kind of truth that is free of appearances. Rationality 1.0 is unable to grasp that kind of truth and is even hostile toward it. The rational mind balks at divine truths, judging as it does on the basis of illusions. So it's actually incompatible with true truths. It's only really compatible with false truths or, or truths that, that don't have this divine truth in them. So that the, rash, the rationality separated from the higher mind, it 
it's is so counterproductive that uh, you know it's a curse rather than a blessing. And you get that. Um, let's so y- you can get how that would be. Let's take a tour of our house, and I'll I'll talk you through exactly why it can be. De- deployed positively or negatively like that. So, you know, you're in the lower mind, the the higher light is not coming through. Rationality 1.0 is still a vantage point. Like you're up high enough, you can look at your life from it, but there's no extra light coming in. So you're just in your own perspectives, you affirm what you already know and what you already do. But if you do that work of repentance, right? The, the hard work of spiritual growth, recognizing evil in yourself or, or harmful things and getting in and not just, it looks like flipping a switch here, but what you're actually doing is accessing humility, working to work with a higher power to say, hey, there's other things in life. Then you're back in your life, but you see it differently. Everything's illuminated. You can get down into the specifics with the people you know, the things you do, and then you have this new vantage point, this rationality 2.0. Look at how much better that mezzanine looks lit up. I mean, that's a house that I would buy, right? And that's the difference in our mind. The rationality is always a vantage point from which we look and assess our lives and assess courses of action, assess our view of reality. But with 2.0, you're able to see it as it really is, rather than being sort of in the dark of your own egocentric, inwardly turned life. You really see your place, your genuine place in the grand scheme of things. So that's why rationality can be such a cool thing, or it can really be a problem. You're going to see just how much of a problem Swedenborg thinks it can be here in Secrets of Heaven 1936. And remember, this is Rationality 1.0. So the Rationality Society, please don't get up in arms about it. The rational mind deserves no trust. Our rational mind latches on to illusions and appearances and therefore rejects truth that has been stripped of illusions and appearances. So that, and because if you didn't realize that he's talking about this one iteration of it, you'd think he's saying, you know, just believe religious stuff, don't think about it. But he's, his whole message is completely counter to that, that, that he has this very famous line, um, now it is permitted to enter with understanding into the mysteries of faith. He, like, everything, even spiritual things, have to make sense. He also, like, often will uh, urge his readers, go think about it for yourself, use your rationality. So he's not saying that's not good. He's saying this rationality 1.0, the self-centered, we're not looking at it from anything higher, that's a problem. He goes on here in 1936, we should not trust in appearances, but in divine truth itself, no matter how incredible it might seem to that early rationality. And here's where we start to get into the why spiritual things seem hard to believe. Because you learn these things, that like you know the existence of god uh, some of the nature of, of spiritual reality and it's there's a part of you that's like yeah man that's awesome but there's another part that's completely incredulous to it and swedenborg is saying that's the separated rational and you have to not let it run things you're going to be incorporating it into this new mind but you can't let it it run with everything remember these optical illusions we do this on a small level. We have that sensory part of the mind that says A and B are not different colors. They are not. I can tell. But we don't let it run things because we know that actually the rational mind is superior 
to that, the calculating logical mind is superior to that. So again, the inner mind is superior to the rational mind. So you have to have that same kind of, what we automatically do there, we have to work to do on a spiritual level, and that really happens the more and more we learn to love what's good and true and push away things that are evil and false. And so, But even, the, even so, even if you do the work and get to higher levels, it's not like you're always going to stay there. You're going to spend some time in this rationality 1.0. It's always, there's going to be times of doubt. There's going to be times when you're not your best self. So be patient with that. And as Swedenborg mentioned in that other quote, take the divine truths that you still feel like these are something I believe in, work to reinforce those. And when they're feeling true, remember that feeling because that's going to help get you out. And as we see in the next section, this is not just about have loyalty to concepts. This is a way that really helps us have a much happier, more productive life, as we'll see soon. Um, but we've been talking so much about the negative side of rationality. Don't forget there's this whole 2.0, the positive rationality, where it's working in the system as it was meant to be, the gear that it was meant to be that turns everything. So we're going to look now at what that looks like. Let's go back into the house of the mind. So you're here, rationality 1.0 is this dark thing right? This is where we start. It's, hey, I'm what's important. Nothing else is. But we ascend through the mind, and we can be up there, and we can stop, or we can do this difficult work of repentance, which is this essential self-reflection. It's looking at yourself and saying, wait, it's not just all good because it's me. What's really helpful? What's really harmful? And through that work, which here is, yeah, right, Oh, you flip a switch, but in real life, it's years and years of work. That's how you're then able to start to see things, not from a self-centered mindset, but from a mindset where you're really looking what's actually good, what's actually true. I'm not just favoring myself because I am myself. I want to do what's right. And rationality can be an amazing tool for that. Swedenborg describes it in Secrets of Heaven. From within, we can have insights into those aspects of ourselves that lie below. As people endowed with perception, and even those with conscience, see um, our episode about conscience for that, know from experience. They are clear-sighted enough to denounce their own thoughts. That's, that's my favorite line. That's really what it comes down to. You're able to call out your own thoughts when when they're no good. That's the power of Rationality 2.0. You're not just a slave to whatever feels like is mine. I have to go with that. So people who have been reborn are able to see what the rationality they had before rebirth is like. In us, this perception comes from the Lord. So it's really about self-reflection and being able to see, because from from the closed mind, you can't see the open mind. But from the open mind, you can understand the quality of the closed mind. Yeah, this is not too much of a stretch. You can see in your own life when you've been causing harm once you're separated from that harm, and when you've been hurting yourself once you're separated from it. You can look back and say, oh, that was, that was stupid. Very hard to do, though, when you're in it. So we're trying to give ourselves the tools to get up and out of it. So let's dispense with theory and get to some specific examples, right? Because we're talking about, oh, you got to like stay by these divine truths. you got to recognize that to avoid just the earthly interpretations of it. But what, what is that? What, what would those truths even be? And how could we ever use something as strange as this unfolding floor house in our daily life? Well, that's what part three is for. So what truths are true? I mean, what 
is the stuff that the higher mind can understand that the lower mind cannot understand. We're going to show you it in action here. Now, we're going to be watching a show, a game show. And in this game show, we're actually going to be giving you direct truths from one of Swedenborg's numbers, where he talks about the lower mind not being able to understand these things and the higher mind being able to understand. So you're going to see these two sort of debating about it, about Swedenborg's examples. But remember, you're watching two parts of your own mind here. So when these principles, you're going to have a part of your mind, or at least ones that are similar, you're going to have a part of your mind that is just like the higher mind, that feels the way about those principles that the higher mind does, and a part of your mind that's like the lower mind, that feels the way the lower mind does. So see if you see any of yourself in this dynamic here. Let's all tune in uh, to, to what is, of course, our favorite educational program. Welcome to That's the Truth. I'm your host, Katya Lyon. We have a great show for you tonight, and I'm so excited to introduce you to our two contestants. First, we have, from the world of appearances and the illusion of separateness, the lower mind. Our second contestant is open to spiritual light and spiritual warmth. Welcome, the higher mind. Great to have you both with us. You both know how to play this game, but for you folks at home, I'm going to read several statements, and it is the contestant's job to say whether they are true or false. Ready to go, guys? Yeah. I truly am. Hands ready at your buzzers. Here we go. True or false? Humans, spirits, and angels have no life at all in themselves. Only the Lord does. <sighs> Lower mind, what's your answer? What, what was it? What was that? Was that even a question? Uh, I am alive, and this dude is alive, and there's cockroaches in this building that are alive. There, there's a lot of life. The answer is false. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Higher mind, can you steal? I would rather not steal, but I'm happy to answer the question. Um, it really is true that it appears that way as though we have life in and of ourselves, but we're actually vessels and all of it, the thoughts, the feelings, everything flows in. Correct, five points for you. Okay, moving on, next statement. True or false? Every word of scripture holds within it an unlimited number of ideas and even embraces the whole of heaven. Uh, you're talking about scripture, I've looked in there, I don't even think it has one idea in it. Uh, the, the stories are basically nonsensical. The answer is false. I'm sorry, lower mind. Wrong again. Higher mind. Can you... Oh, it's, it's, it's so true. Every word in there is amazing. If we can see it at a deep level, you could see that it's all organized, just like the heavens. It's like the human form. The order in there is magnificent. That is so beautifully true. Correct. Seven points for you, higher mind. Okay, on to our next statement. In the other life, it is our purposes that receive attention, and our deeds are viewed in light of them. Mm. Lower mind. First, I think you misspoke because you said in the other life, whatever that means, and the pur purpose, who, how do you even know what a purpose is? You do something that's bad, it's bad, you get in trouble, that's how it works. Uh, so this one was kind of easy one, false. No, I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Higher mind. Actually, if you could see a hundred people do exactly the same thing, 
Each one of them would be doing it for a different reason. It is the motive, the love and the understanding behind the deed that's the most important thing. So actually, that is true. Correct. Okay, next one. Heavenly joy contains no trace of superiority over another person. Uh, I would like to win this game, and that would make me happy. Losing this game, if that makes you happy, you're an idiot. <sighs> no. Higher mind. I'm actually hoping he'll win. I'm, I'm rooting for him. Uh, the whole nature of heaven is cooperative. It's collaborative. No one is greater than any other. We all work together to get things done. It's a beautiful structure. So that, in fact, is also true. That's correct. Next one. The more firmly we believe no wisdom at all originates in us, the wiser we are. I firmly believe that no wisdom originates in that question, but that people are smart. That's what well, you're going to take away credit from, from, from Socrates and Plato. The whole point of life is to get smart and be the smartest. And th the answer is false. Really? No, that is incorrect. Higher mind. Wisdom has to do with truth, and it is the truth, as I've said before, that we're only vessels, and what is true flows into us. So the highest form of wisdom is to understand that we're nothing compared to God. All of it flows in. Correct again. Last one. This is for the game, guys. Life becomes more and more heavenly the further we move from anything related to space and time, and the closer we move toward that which constitutes eternity. False. No. Higher mind? That is actually true. Close game, everybody, but I think we know who the winner is. The Higher Mind. Today's winner will receive the contents of this treasure box. It, this is a, it's a briefcase. So you got it. See, it's got latches on this side. You just put a little force on those and they click oh. right open. You are so awesome. Thank you. <laughs> hey, no problem. Well, thanks, everybody. That ends our great show for this week. Join us next week on That's the Truth. I'm your host, Katya Lyon. You got a sense there at the end of why the lower mind, handsome devil that he is, is necessary, even though he was way out of his depth on those questions. He had this practical knowledge that the higher mind didn't have. Now keep in mind there you were seeing how it is when the higher and lower mind are separated and at odds with each other. What it should be is this partnership. Now the questions were stacked for the higher mind there, but how it would work if they were together in Rationality 2.0 is whenever lower mind heard a question that he knows he doesn't know what to do with, he would consult with higher mind, right? They would be on the same team. That's the optimal version they were pointing you towards. So we've gone from looking at the house of the mind to a game show based on Swedenborg's examples of higher truths. And how is this ever going to do something for you tomorrow? Well, this is how I would deploy it were I you. We're actually, I'm actually, I feel so strongly about this. I'm going to let you guys see my own personal private thoughts. So here we go. This is what I'm thinking right now. And what we're going to do with my thoughts is, do they go in the higher mind or are they in the lower mind? We're going to play this game and it's got a purpose to it. There's a lot that I don't know yet. Well, that might be a, a lower mind thought, right? Because it's sort of critical of myself, right? I mean, that's not going to help me feel good about myself or empowered or something. Wrong! 
it's actually a higher mind thought. As Swedenborg writes, it is wisdom to admit that what we know is next to nothing compared to what we don't know. The higher mind comes with it, this acknowledgement of the vastness of reality, of the vastness of God, and of wisdom in this genuine desire to not feel superior to others and to recognize we're just a little fish in this big giant ocean of reality. So that's actually a higher mind thought, and it's gentle enough that it's constructive, and that's another calling card of the higher mind. So let's take a look at the next one. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, nobody likes me, and you would might think, well, that's a higher mind thought. Isn't that like humility? Isn't that the same sort of category where you're not putting yourself above people? No, and there are multiple reasons why this is a lower mind thought. First of all, it is not true. <laughs> Even if it's just God, Somebody likes me. Uh, angels do too. It's it's not acknowledging the existence of the spiritual, but then also it's just sweeping and inaccurate because somebody likes you. I mean, that's just how it is. People like you at some level. Also, it's it's uh, insulting. It cuts you down, and that's the characteristic of hell, which tries to flow in through the lower mind to attack you. It's non-constructive. Everything in the higher mind is constructive. All right, let me think of something else. Let me think a tougher one here. I've been through hard times before. I'll get through this. That's got to be lower mind. I mean, it's just sort of blind to, to strategy. It's just trusting. It's lazy, right? No, this is. there's a ton of higher wisdom in this. I've been through hard times. I'll get through this. Because that's acknowledging the existence of divine providence, right? That is looking at things from an eternal perspective. Because this could be applied to even the worst of the worst. Because from the perspective of eternity, when God is supplying everything that will be for our ultimate permanent eternal good, anything we can get through. And it acknowledges the immortality of the Spirit and the care of God, that no matter what happens, we won't be destroyed, right? So there is there is a lot of higher mind thinking in there. Again, hard to pick out, but for me, that's where I would call it. Let's take a look at my next thought. God is upset with me because of what I did. That, again, has got to be a higher mind thought, right? Because it's, it's acknowledging the divine. It is... Um, looking with humility at what we've done. No, this is actually a lower mind thought because it is ignorant of the one of the basic spiritual truths, which is that God is pure love. And Swedenborg says God is so much love for each one of us specifically that in true Christianity 56, I believe he says, God can't even look at us with a frown. So while it may be true that you did something that was bad or that hurt somebody or something, God is not upset with you at it. To, to make that assumption uh, misunderstands the fundamental nature of the divine and of the divine guidance in our lives. All right, so we're tied. Let's break the tie here. This thought is going to be the hardest one yet. After I tell this joke, people will think I'm funnier than Matt. Okay, hopefully he's not watching right now. Backstory, Matt is my brother. Everyone thinks he's so funny, but I'm going to, I'm going to finally get the appreciation I deserve for my humor. This is a lower mind thought, because as we saw in the game show, heavenly joy has no trace of being superior to anyone else in it. This is me trying to feel good because I'm going to be superior. It might give me momentary heaven, like a momentary feeling of joy, but it doesn't last. You need more and more. Putting other people down, surpassing people is not heaven, right? So that's a lower mind thought. Masquerading is a higher mind thought. They usually do. Okay, let's just do one more. Why not? We'll see if we balance it out or get a lot more lower mind. Maybe I was wrong about that. Oh, so that, that's that got to be a lower mind. 
right? Because it's it's deprecating. Uh, it doesn't really construct. No, I'm. I would actually assert that this goes up here as a higher mind thought. Because isn't that reflection? Isn't that regeneration? The willingness to say, to look at yourself from a higher perspective and say, maybe I was wrong. It's not just, I am cool, so whatever I do, there was a good reason why I did it, and that's how things are. This is being willing to look at impact and having the intellectual humility to say, I don't always know the best thing in the situation. Now, that's how I interpret those thoughts. I, it's not necessarily prescriptive, because for who you are, where you are, those same thoughts might have different connotations and end up on a different part. I'm not going to be able to give you a you know, uh, impervious, invincible formula. But if, as we start to look at thoughts in this way there and, and start to refine and hone our own individual compasses or sorting tools that put them in the higher, lower mind, there's a really tangible, really important benefit. Because if you don't know about the difference between the, the inner and the outer or the higher and the lower mind, you treat all thoughts as of equal importance. Something that's from the lower mind and the isolated lower mind is just going to mess you up. You put as much importance on this idea, oh, no, nobody likes me, as you do on the, the love and omnipresence of God. And doing that, just letting it all be this sort of confused mass, leads to the chaos and, and oftentimes misery that we all experience. At, at least occasionally in our lives. So what we're trying to do is let you feel that distinction, that there's some stuff that is from a higher perspective and is intrinsically true, and there's some stuff that it's there, but it needs to be vetted, and we have the power to say, no, that, that thought doesn't belong. That, that doesn't need to be there. Because the point is, we're trying to give you a better way to navigate this confusing experience we call having a human mind. And this inner and outer mind can be a very potent tool in there. So so as to not let it slip through our fingertips, let's wrap up. Let's look at what we did this episode and what we learned. So today we learned that we have two levels of thinking. Swedenborg labels the outer and inner minds. While they're different, they're meant to work together. But our inner mind begins closed. But we can open it up and bring the system into harmony if we begin to examine our outer mind, identify harmful things in there, and resist them. Our rationality is really the key to making this connection happen, but it doesn't automatically work. Deployed negatively, rationality can actually cut us off from spiritual things, but if it's used in the way it was designed for, it connects heaven and earth within us. As we learned, the rational mind on its own is hardwired not to recognize spiritual realities the way the sensory part of our mind can't see beyond optical illusions. The higher mind can, but still wants and needs to work with the rational to form a complete partnership. And that complete partnership is what we want to be embarking on a quest to go find. It takes the work of repentance. It takes the work of sorting so much that it becomes habit, like, okay, this is lower, this is higher, but it's worth the journey. Thanks for hanging out today. If you don't want to have to go on the whole journey, just like and subscribe. That will automatically open up your higher mind now, but it will help us get out there on YouTube, which can help somebody find this. And who knows, it might be a good piece in in their quest to, to open up to higher things. So really appreciate you guys doing that. If you want to make this kind of programming possible, consider making a donation. It's how we do things as a nonprofit. And right after this little video on our philosophy, I'm going to take your questions.
We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. Okay, so introducing concepts this episode, relatively confusing. Do you have questions on those? Do you have questions on anything else? I'm going to do my best to take a look at five of them tonight. Let's see our first one. Mary, do evil spirits deliberately cause the effect of our disbelief? Yes. According to Swedenborg, uh, and I'm trying to think of specific examples, but he, he over and over and over describes the influence of hell on his mind as extinguishing his connection to higher things. He talks about uh, in Secrets of Heaven 1820. It's one of the few I have memorized. Don't worry, I don't have them all memorized. He talks about evil spirits whipping up um, the things in our mind into a fog of emotion, and from that, trying to make what's what's false seem true. Uh, they evil spirits hate everything that's true. They're, they're, they're like the, the isolated rational mind. They can't actually, like, physically, spiritually, physically, meaning like um, they can't abide that environment from a metaphysical, that's what the word I was looking for, level that they can't handle goodness and truth. So they push it out like something that they can't, that reacts in the presence of water. That they, There's a definite uh, linkage between evil and falsity. So evil spirits dislike anybody who's consuming truth. So according to Swedenborg, the mind is always being affected by both good and evil spirits, so hell is trying to get in there and certainly would want to cause disbelief, because belief, which would mean the the, the perception that these higher things are true, leads to, I don't know for you, but for me, it leads to feelings of peace, of security, of relief, of safety. It helps make life better and they don't want life to be better. They want it to be bad and miserable and, and benefit themselves off of that. Uh, so that's why they would do it, and that's what they do. And yeah, there's a lot in Swedenborg about that. So great question. Uh, let's take a look at the next one. Preliminal. If a person goes an entire year without sinning at all, are they still sinning without knowing it? Uh, well, I've done this many times. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I did once go like one minute. No, I, uh, again, again, this is so funny, everything I say. There's, there's, it's not necessarily about action. Um, meaning like how many bad things have you done versus how many good things have you done? Swedenborg says that we have these tendencies within ourselves that we have to get past. If you just, uh, like he talks about people who are not doing anything sinful or evil, but it's for external reasons, meaning they're worried about going to jail, or they're worried about losing their reputation, or the, or some other reason that's not, they're not, not doing those because they're, because they're bad. It doesn't really do anything for you spiritually. The, the point is not like avoid anything bad, it's see and recognize the bad things in us and then resist them as much as we can when they come up so that those tendencies themselves can be uprooted and pulled out of the ground, uh, out of the ground of yourself. There's a lot of metaphors flying around here today. So that that's what it is. I, I, th- that was my first reaction there, is that, that it's not that 
it has to be, you have to have a perfect record. It's that you have to be sort of being willing to set yourself against these things in yourself. And I wouldn't, yeah, I don't think you ever get to, um, everything is, there's no evil there. Even angels, according to Swedenborg, have evils that are dormant, but are there. And every once in a while they pop up and they got to do work just like we do. They're not as overwhelmed by them as we are. It's a better lifestyle, but there's always that kind of push. And that's fine. That's, that's, you know, you're eternally perfected. Um, but it doesn't mean you're ever fully perfected, which is part of the fun of life is growing, continuing to grow and grow. Um, so sinning without knowing, it, it, sinning according to Swedenborg or, or doing evil is about intent. So it's about doing harmful things because we like to do them, right? And, and because we don't care about the consequences. So, you know, if you don't know you're doing it, it might be there, but but it's not the same as intentionally doing it. So it's a complex question. I give it a fragmented answer, and I think that's where I'm going to leave it. So thanks. Let's look at the next one. Why is it that spirits can so easily see or hear us, but we can be so oblivious to them? Is it the limitation of having a physical mind? Barbara, um, and I would say... First of all, there is a limitation in having a physical mind. In general, we don't have access to spiritual world. I would say they're actually not all spirits, according to Swedenborg, can see and hear us. There are there are certain spirits that are aware of us. Swedenborg does talk about, though, some of the spirits that are actually closest to us and influencing us don't know that they are. They, they, okay, do you want to get Swedenborg weird? They have our they have access to our characteristics and think those same characteristics occur in themselves and because of that they because of their own nature they stir up the worst in us and cause confusion so there are but but the evil ones don't know that they're with us because if they did they would try to kill us however i just said a couple questions ago that evil spirits do try to mess with your mind and that's because intentionally like they know what you're doing that's because swedenborg describes encounters of both kinds there are sort of base level associations that keep us operating in which neither party really knows that the other one is there but swedenborg does describe these sort of acute attacks on him which maybe it's because he was awakened to the spiritual world so they could see it but i think it happens i think i see it happening with people all the time there's definitely times when it feels like my thoughts and feelings are acutely trying to intentionally trying to to get me down but that doesn't even necessarily mean they can like see and hear us like oh we we can see that curtis is you know in this little room that he shoots his like weird internet show out of but they can know what i'm thinking about and what i'm feeling and those kind of things can appear and not necessarily like see the physical world. Then again, there's all there's always exceptions to the rules. There was times when Swedenborg described spirits being able to see out of his eyes, but he was in this condition that was like, you know, if not unique, but more rare. Uh, so the answer is uh, whatever I just said, plus, um, Yes, there is more limitation, though, on this side. We're a little more blind, and that's because, not to tie it into the show on you or anything, but our lower mind is fixated on this world in a way that keeps us from participating in both, whereas in the spiritual, you can be more aware of the physical. So those are a few thoughts. Great question. Thanks very much. Let's do another one. Um, How is the inner mind of an individual with, say, autism opened up by the Lord? Oh, man, that's a great question. So, I I don't know, like, exactly w- what spiritual growth looks like for any other person, 
regardless of what their state is physically, mentally. Um, Swedenborg does talk about certain states of, um, well, he talks about mental illness or he talks about physical conditions limiting our freedom, right? So in, so within a, a free, when someone's not fully free and fully rational, they don't necessarily have the ability to progress spiritually while they're as far while they're in that state. So they have to do more on the other side. However, you know, autism or autism spectrum disorder, it seems like people there have this really, um, full inner life. It's more the, the way I understand it, it's more the communication with other people where things can sometimes break down. So it could well be that that somebody on the spectrum is having a full inner life and, do, and able to do every facet of regeneration. I don't know, you know, the Lord is doing it in all kinds of ways, and that in certain ways I'm completely closed in areas that, that maybe I can't open up in. So I would say that um, if somebody of whatever condition of any kind, any person, anywhere, if they have the ability to to ra- to consider things and then choose things in some kind of freedom, there's the seeds for spiritual growth there. As far as the particular um, ways that God works with all the different kinds of minds that people have, I don't know, man. Swedenborg doesn't get into it. There weren't, you know, mental health science was, or, and and even medical science in Swedenborg's day was, was nowhere near where it is now. Um, so he didn't have as much to comment on in that. But but I would imagine that there's a way that the Lord is welcoming every kind of person and every person individually down this particular path. And I, I would imagine, you know, having autism spectrum disorder or anything, you know, can could let your mind, a part of your mind, develop in a way that someone who doesn't have it couldn't you know, because you you experience this different part of life. You see life from a different way, and, you know, are we all sort of, you know, I know from Swedenborg that we're all kind of going at this area, this one particular area of, of the of the human psyche that nobody else can do exactly like us because we have this unique mind. So it could be that the, the diversity of the kinds of minds lets us all do this little area of spiritual work that no one else can do, and then we get something from that, we bring it back, contribute it to the whole. So it's a cool idea, and I love everybody out there on their own quest, through, through their own challenges, bringing back something to help everybody. So that's a that sounds like a good note, maybe a good note to end it on, or do we have one more? I can't remember if this is five or not. Okay, great. Sharon, not trying to bump you out. Is there an actual awakening, or is it a process of increasing awareness? I think it's different for different people. I'm not trying to cop out, but I mean, you know, we just did, take a look at our show that we just did called 10 Early Signs of a Spiritual Awakening. Uh, that was last week's show. That's describing Swedenborg's process of what you, he, he definitely had something you could call an awakening where he went over a period from being a person not so unlike you and I that just like went around and had a life in the physical world to somebody who could see and talk to spirits on command, who could go and visit the angels, who could see the deep mysteries of life. But it wasn't just like instant, it was a process. It was like a process of increasing awareness that he went through. We look at that in that episode. However, it's not like everyone on this earth is going to start to see the spiritual world at some point or experience it, and you don't have to. That's not necessarily part of what it means to be awakened, because you can have your your upper, inner, higher mind opened, and you can be somebody who looks at yourself and makes sure you do uh, what's right. You can have this love for others and this wisdom about life pouring in, and I would call you very much awakened, even if you aren't, you know, able to 
speak to people who have passed on. So I would say it's a process of increasing awareness that may have big aha moments in it you know, punctuated equilibrium, that there's probably experiences that people have, but then, and, and again, it's different for everyone. So is that, yeah, so I said something about that. Everybody, thanks for bearing with me. Thanks for all of your questions. It's awesome that you are here watching it, interested enough to ask questions. I hope we've given you some tools, uh, we here at the Swedenborg Foundation, this week to, to go and let me know how it goes in the comments section. If you start to try to use this, did you get anything positive out of this idea of the, the higher and lower mind? Has it made life better? Because that's the whole point. That's why we're here broadcasting this show. Can we make life better? And then we take any progress we made and go serve the human race with it. So thanks for watching, everyone. I uh, hope you can come back next week. It's going to be a question and answer panel. So we'll have our team of experts here experts, you know, like as in people who want to talk about this stuff and have done a little research into it. Uh, and we're going to, you know, go through the questions much like I did here. We'll do a little bit better of a job. And it's going to be all like about giving back to you guys since you are, you know, hanging out and have questions and we want to have conversations with you. So panel show next week. Hope to see you there. Same time. Have a good week. Swedenborg and Life is a production of the Swedenborg Foundation. Curtis Childs is our host and producer. Art direction by Matthew Childs. Technical direction by Stuart Farmer. Ben Keyes, visual effects technician. The content writing team is Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, and Chelsea Odner. Regular research and content support from Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition of the works of Emanuel Swedenborg, and Cara Dom, Latin consultant for the New Century Edition. Shada Sullivan contributes her heavenly voice to most of our readings. Amy Aquarola is our marketing communications coordinator. Alexa Cole is our online media coordinator. Our editor is John Connolly. The moderators for our thriving online community are Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, Alexa Cole, Chris Dunn, and Chelsea Odner. And the executive director of the Swedenborg Foundation is Morgan Beard. Special thanks this week and every week to the generous donors that make our work possible. 